Brought to you by Fruitnet Media, this is Fruitbox. Hello, welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. I want these 15-minute conversations, which we now broadcast once a week, every Wednesday, to give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. Today, all the talk here in much of Europe is of a second wave of the coronavirus. The thing hasn't gone away magically, just like that. I know I'm trying to focus on other issues at Fruitbox, but rather like the virus, it's proving very, very persistent and it demands that we pay attention to it, which means we need to talk about it again today and to discuss the impact it's having on business. And for that reason, I'm pleased to talk again to my two editors based here in Europe, Mike Knowles and Mara Maxwell. Mike, Mara, hi, welcome back to Fruitbox. Hi, Chris. Hello, thank you. Now, we, we last spoke with you both here on Fruitbox back in March, in fact, right at the very start of the coronavirus crisis. In fact, the very first episode of this weekly series of conversations that I've been having ever since. And, and so as we approach episode 40, it's clear that the world hasn't yet shaken the coronavirus. Indeed, it seems that we're in danger of slipping back into a fresh crisis, at least here in Europe, with cases back on the rise in, in France, in Spain, and, and in other countries, including our own, the UK, which is where the three of us live and work. And let's not forget that other parts of the world are still tackling this first wave of the crisis. So, so let's look, if we may, at some of the things that we've talked about in episode one, but also try to look forward, perhaps as far as six months ahead, which I know is a kind of little like an eternity when it comes to life uh, at the moment. Mike, let me come to you first. What, what do you think is happening and going to happen at food retail? Is it going to be more of the same? Well, I, I think you're right. I think it, it feels a little bit like Groundhog Day. You know, when we spoke, we talked about that immediate impact of um, not just lockdown, but things like panic buying and, uh, you know, the, the immediate reaction in the market. I think things have leveled out to a certain extent, but there are some longer term trends emerging, particularly around online retail and the changing dynamics of delivering produce and other foods and groceries to customers wherever they are. Now, a lot of those consumers, yes, are staying at home more or preferring not to go to the supermarket to, to get their shopping. So online delivery is a trend that has uh, increased dramatically and will stay. But there are also other things. There are uh, things like meal kits and recipe kits and home delivery from other places. So from, uh, you know, food service entities that have pivoted as they say and moved into delivery of produce um that that is still happening uh, if we have another lockdown um of, of some shape or form um i think that will accentuate those trends further but really if we're looking to next year and beyond there's a hybrid kind of uh, mixture of retail and food service and takeaway and delivery that is emerging. So not something entirely new, but a, a, a more modern, a more kind of uh, 21st century version of the retail um, uh, arena. Uh, Mara, the, the same question to you. I mean, you as a family were always kind of buying online. Are you buying more food online these days? 
Well, no, ironically, since uh, the arrival of uh, COVID, I haven't been able to get a delivery slot for love nor money. So we've actually switched to uh, actually going to the store and buying physically. <laughs> but um, I know there has generally been, as Mike said, a, a big uptick in online sales. And that's something that's probably likely to, to remain the case uh, in the coming six months. Um, and as Mike said as well, I mean, you know, food service, there's, there's been a lot of convulsions and that's likely to continue. I mean, hotels, restaurants uh, and what have you, are not by any means operating at full capacity. And there will be ups and downs in the coming months, particularly if we do see more stringent lockdowns coming in. Um, another interesting trend that I've seen is um, a number of companies, Spanish suppliers are, are selling direct uh, through their own online stores, um, which again is uh, fantastic. It's uh, you know finding a new way to reach their customers and it's proven very effective. That's something that that in China, when I was there a few years ago, and I know it's uh, it's got a lot more prevalent now that uh, lots of producers were setting up almost those, their own online stores and selling online. Let, let's stay, if we can, for a moment in, in Spain, uh, Mary, you just talked about Spain and what they're doing there. Um, Spain, of course, is a, a massive producer in Europe, and it's coming into its really big season now for for citrus and winter winter vegetables and so on. What's the word from Spain? What are your contacts telling you? Well, I mean, uh, in terms of demand, as we've seen, that, that's been pretty strong throughout the crisis. Um, citrus, they're coming off the back of uh, their best season in, in recent years. You know, really strong demand, the shorter crop. They had fantastic prices. Um, you know, they responded really well to, to the whole pandemic. Uh, I suppose the crucial question going forwards for citrus, for winter veg and for, for all other products really is, is demand likely to remain strong um, as the recession starts to bite and consumers are sort of increasingly hit in the pocket. Uh, production costs have gone up because of the extra safety measures. Um, they're having to be absorbed either by the retailer or they're you know, passing them on to the consumer through higher prices. Um, and it, there is starting to be a bit of evidence that um, consumer spending is slowing down a little bit as you know people feel the pinch so the really interesting thing will be how much will demand hold up um, and you know what can we expect to see there and I guess where 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 a price is going to go in in this period as well Mike you follow the Italian market very very closely what what's the word on the street uh, in Italy well, it's a, it's a similar story down there, actually. And um, people who have watched Italy over the past decades will know that there is actually, um, in a way, two markets. There's northern Italy, which is more affluent, and there's southern Italy, which um, does tend to uh, struggle economically, uh, especially in a time of crisis like this. And I think that's playing out as we speak, that uh, demand up in northern Italy is is fairly robust. And for some of the core products like apples and um, and kiwi fruit demand is very strong uh, down in the south. I think there's going to be more concern over over sales and, and the resilience of that market. If you then talk about Italy as a supplier, um, I think I think the pandemic has really brought to the fore uh, Italy's strength. It, it's known as a supplier of quality products. It hasn't always been able to compete in the market in in certain places. Uh, under competition from places like Spain uh, and Greece with, with uh, you know, cheaper methods of production. Um, the, the exports in the first half of the year have been phenomenal. You know, products like apples, um, like pears, like kiwi fruit have done really, really well. Export markets outside of Europe are very strong. Demand is, is, is high there. And so as we go into 
now a new apple season, a new pear season, and then in November, um, the start of the kiwi fruit exports. There are some amazing prospects for, for companies in Italy um, to supply customers around the world. And, and so I, I expect that they're, they're going to do very well. It's not, I guess, just about customers around the world. I mean, Italy has always been the traditional um, supplier to Germany. Mm. And Germany, as we know, is is holding up extremely well through this crisis uh, in ways that kind of sometimes seem impossible to comprehend. When you look at the the, the, the contacts you have in, in, in Northern Europe, in markets like Germany, the Netherlands, Scandinavia, mm. and so on, what, what's the feedback there? They all, they all seem pretty positive, I, I imagine. Well, it is positive kind of on the surface. Um, you know, there, there is a certain amount of calm and, uh, you know, concerted work going on to keep produce flowing. Um, it, it's become almost more straightforward that, that you know, there's the, the supermarket um, retail market is the one to focus on. Um, but actually, there are some problems. There, there's, uh, for example, a lack of contact with customers. Now, you know, back in the day, cust- uh, retail buyers would go and visit loads of different places around the world. They'd be more than happy to go down to Italy, even further afield to other countries to see what was happening with the produce. And that isn't happening at the moment. Um, and the net impact of that is that there's been a bit of a slowdown in the uh, the kind of people relationship in the business. So there's a lack of opportunity, for example, to introduce new products. Uh, retailers are focusing on channeling produce through their stores, through their departments. They're not looking to try out a new product line. They're not looking to do um, new tastings on on particular items in store. Um, So that kind of networking and marketing momentum is being lost at the moment. So there is a decline, I would say, at the higher end of the market, where you often have lots of specialized products, things like fresh cut and pre-prepared packs. It's very difficult to get that moving. Whereas if you're in the business of supplying, uh, you know, a kind of near commodity like, uh, well, bananas, but, you know, apples, uh, pears, um, there's an open goal there. But that that point about uh, the kind of momentum and newness in in fresh produce departments is, is a concern. And that and that whole kind of on the go market, of course, caters to office workers and people who are literally on the go and all of us kind of really more or less have been on the stop, if you will, uh, you know, stuck at home or, you know, eating much more at home and, and buying for, for being at home. When it comes to uh, um, Mara, your kind of outlook, uh, let's say from Spain relative to the UK, I mean, the big, the big thing on the horizon that we haven't talked about that's coming very, very soon is, is uh, Britain's uh, exit from the transition rules uh, that govern Brexit. Is that being talked a lot about in Spain? I imagine it must be. Well, absolutely. I mean, whew, that's a that's a great big cloud on the horizon. Um, Spain's the UK's biggest uh, fresh produce supplier. I mean, just in winter salads, for example, it, it supplies 90% of the UK volume between, I think it's October and April. So it's of critical importance for what happens on December 31st. Um, we can see at the moment there's not much sign of a trade deal in place. Um, which is, um, I mean, that will have a different impact on different products. Uh, The fact is that UK relies very heavily on Spain for things like salads, as I said. Also other uh, products like melons and stone fruit. Um, With citrus, you know, there are other alternative sources. And uh, the fact is that as things stand at the moment, if no trade deal is reached, 
um, Spanish mandarins and clementines are going to be faced with a 16% tariff, while the UK has also said that it will slap a 6% tariff on lemons and 3% on oranges. Uh, now, the problem is that because the UK has negotiated continuity agreements with or trade deals with the likes of Morocco, uh, and there are others on the horizon for Egypt and Turkey, this is going to put Spain at a serious competitive disadvantage in citrus mm. pretty much overnight. Now, talking to Spanish suppliers, they've, uh, you know, been quite keen to sort of point out that, you know, they will be pushing the quality angle very heavily. And that is something that does set them apart, you could argue, from some of these other countries. But it's a big, big question mark. Mm. Not, not to mention today's announcement by the government uh, here in Britain that uh, we should prepare for two day delays, I think it was. At, well, uh, 7,000 at... truck queues and what have you. I mean, yeah, that's just going to have a huge impact. Exactly. And there, there are other kind of clouds on the horizon we look at things like you know the continuing issue of labor uh problems with costs and so on and so forth uh, what do you make of that mara um well yeah i mean you touched on labor day i mean that was one of the things that was thrown into stark relief by the uh, pandemic was uh you know that labor is uh, such a critical commodity um and i think it's understandable and only natural that this is going to sort of like push um, the industry towards, you know, well, maybe accelerate the trend towards automation wherever mm. possible. Mm. Um, I think that's inevitable, really. Uh, and likewise, uh, you know, in other parts of the, uh, you know, in the pack house, anywhere where you can uh, employ new technology to save costs, um, it, it's going to be done and companies are going to be looking at that much more closely now, mm. uh, because, you know, keeping their costs down is going to be absolutely critical. Mm. Mike, Mike, you wrote a really first-class report on COVID earlier in the year, and I know that you're preparing an update that's going to be published around the time of Fruit Logistica uh, at the beginning of next year. Um, only yesterday, our colleagues at Fructanel magazine have just held their actual annual conference as a physical event in in Germany in Düsseldorf, and we're going to going we're going to be going digital rather for our Asia Fruit Congress and Asia Fruit Logistica on in November. On this issue of digital, it's become much more of a feature for your daily work, hasn't it? It has indeed, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm now pretty much permanently working from home and the emphasis therefore is on maintaining contact with people, um, you know, colleagues and people in the wider business. Now, you know, we, we were always in touch before, uh, but I think the key difference now is visibility. We are seeing people uh, on, on our screens on a far more regular basis. And I think in terms of, um, you know, trying to uh, find a substitute for that physical contact uh, in a B2B setting, mm. um, you know, trying to get people visible on screens, video interviews, uh, video conferencing, webinars, Zoom calls and so on, that, that has become an essential part of what we do mm. and what we're doing at FruitNet, and so we've we've actually just launched a, a new FruitNet Insights um, uh, channel on YouTube, where we're doing what we did before, bringing people together to talk about the business. But instead of then transferring that into the pages of our magazine or put it, putting them on stage at a conference, um, we're presenting that as a as a, a TV program. Uh, for people to watch and for people to learn what's going on in, in various categories. So we started with avocados. We're talking about apples next. We're, we'll be talking about lots of different categories yeah. and indeed things like sustainability and technology and, and so forth. And, and crucially for it not to be just like feeling like it's another Zoom call, because I think we spend so much of our lives on these Zoom calls. It's nice to be doing something different. No, absolutely not.
what, what about you, Mara? What, what uh, have you found or finding the switch to digital? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it has brought a lot of advantages. As Mike said, it's um, it's much easier to bring people together in many ways, um, you know, to, to organise a Zoom call or a webinar and not expect them to fly halfway around the world to attend a conference. Um, and there's a lot more sort of immediacy and it's a lot more intimate to have a, a face-to-face with somebody than just an email, which is kind of like, you know, where, where we probably would have done, you know, more so before. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it has definitely bought good things as well as bad things. I mean, I think by the time it's over, people will be very much looking at each other, looking forward to seeing each other again. Absolutely. Mike? And, and Chris, you mentioned um, DOGK, which is the German um, uh, fruit and vegetable conference organized by our colleagues, Fruchthandel magazine. Um, that was uh, one of the first uh, such events, trade events in fresh produce to be a hybrid event where you have people there physically, but also you have that interactive um, virtual element. And I think we will see a lot more of that also from the, the trade exhibitions as well, where it's not just a purely physical event. Even after the pandemic subsides, we'll see a, a virtual element far more prominent in future. Well, I, I, I agree. And I think uh, the thing that we mustn't forget is that we're all kind of human beings in the trade and human beings crave that contact with other human beings. And I think it's fine to do it through, you know, uh, the two dimensions of uh, a computer screen. But at the end of the day, I think we're all kind of keen in some ways to get together. We've worked together for the best part of 20 years. And it's felt very weird not seeing each other every day. I mean, occupying the same physical space, though I think we've been rarely so much in touch as we have in the last six months, all of it over Zoom and Teams. And I think that augurs well for the future where there'll be this hybrid of uh, of doing a lot of this kind of work through a computer, but also a lot of, uh, of I hope, very creative and, and focused work together, occupying the, spa- the same space as we, always, as we always have done. Anyway, that's all we've got time for today on Fruitbox. Mike Mara, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Now, you can find today's conversation with Mike and Mara and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. We've got more great guests coming on the program in the next few weeks, so do keep listening in. Oh, and if you've got any ideas of what you'd like me to talk about on Fruitbox, or even if you'd like to feature in a future episode, then do get in touch. Just email me at my email address, which is chris at fruitnet.com. Fruitbox, I'm pleased to say, is getting loads of listens every week. Look out for us on LinkedIn, where I'm posting every episode every week at my profile. And the interviews are getting loads of likes, comments, and shares. We've also had our first sponsored episodes of Fruitbox, So if you'd like to get your name out there to all our listeners by becoming a supporter of Fruitbox, or in fact, a supporter of Mike's program, Fruitnet Insights, then please do get in touch. So that was Fruitbox, and this is Chris White. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. To sponsor a future episode, please email advertising at fruitnet.com you can follow us on twitter at fruitnet live and don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest fresh produce industry news at fruitnet.com